Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of James. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. When you get it, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, thank you for your word, your love for this family, God. Help us to grow and to know you, God. Help us to focus on you, to truly trust you in all things, in all ways, to truly surrender to you, God. Give us one heart, one mind, one passion, and that's to know and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. James chapter 1. We're going to continue from where we was last week. But in this, we're going to make somewhat of a turn. And it's going to build and build and get a little more and more practical as we go. But last week, one of the things we talked about that hinders us or that will help us benefit from the word of God was you go with it with a mindset of obedience. That you deceive yourself if you think that you're knowing the word of God or doing or hearing the word of God or growing in knowledge of God. If you can go into it with things already marked off that you will or will not do. So if you got stuff in your heart, in your mind that the Bible can't tell you different, you just put it down. It's no benefit to you. So in order to truly benefit from the word of God, you must be obedient to it. You must have a willingness to do what it says, whatever it says, no matter how it makes you feel. And let's just read over this again and have this in our mind as we go forward. So wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. For whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So this is the basis. James putting it down. That is, if you look here and don't obey, or not willing to obey, or don't believe you can obey, you're deceiving yourself. You're tricking yourself. But as I read this, and as I think about this, this produces a question. And it's the question that we're going to try to answer. How is it that we read and benefit and go and seek to obey. Because in our American mindset, once we hear the mindset of you got to obey, when you read it, that means you got to do it. We automatically detach it from everything we've been learning about grace and everything we've been learning about the power of God and the Holy Spirit of God working in us. And so that's the mindset we're going to have to wrestle with a little bit to keep it all in context, to keep it all together. So when we hear when you read it, you got to obey it. You got to do it. What we cannot hear is that reading it means you need to try real hard. Are y'all with me? Go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at a couple passages and try to make this make sense. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Verse 1, Romans chapter 7, verse 1. It said, Know you not, brethren, 
For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. All right, there's, Paul can confuse you a little bit in here. So he's speaking to the people who's under the law. All right, so he's talking about the law, the rules, the commandments, the things put down by Moses. And he begins to, with this analogy of marriage. So the basis of what he's saying in there is once a woman get married to a man, she is bound. She can't free herself or liberate herself from that man as long as he's alive. The basis of what he's saying. If she go get married to another man or she go be with another man while her husband is alive, she's an adulteress. The only way for her to be freed from it is for her husband to die. So in his mind, the picture that he's painting is that there's a law that binds the woman that keeps her under. And that law is her husband that separates her freedom to roam and be free. So long as her husband is alive, she ain't have any freedom to go and do what she want to do. Because she bound by the law to her husband. Y'all, you're tracking with me. Alright, so as long as the husband is alive, she bound. And we got to get American laws out of our heads. The, the war against marriage, we lost it. Everybody talking about the homosexuality, war against marriage. That ain't the war against marriage. War against marriage was the no-fault divorce laws that killed most of the marriages. But that's a whole nother subject. You just can't divorce whenever you want to. <laughs> Husband is alive, you bound. All right, but that ain't what we here to talk about. I'm sorry, y'all. Verse 3, so then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, that law of her husband. So if he dies, she free, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, for this reason, my brethren, you are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ. So he's using marriage to compare our relationship to the law, to the commandments, to the rules and the statutes set down by Moses. So. Through Christ, we become dead to that law. So death from something that has you bind creates freedom. Are y'all with me? Verse 4, that you should be married to another, even to him who raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So we died to the law that we should be married to another. That is Christ, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Read that again. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So when we were in the flesh. So Paul's talking about us. A time when we were in the flesh, when we were natural, regular old human beings, said the motions of sin did work. What in the world does that mean? The motions go just what it says, the movements, the passions of it, the, the free flowing of sin. We felt sin, but that motion worked by the law. This is where we get into what we're going to. When we were in the flesh, the motions of sin did work. So there was passions, there was desires, there was things going on inside of us, and those things were produced by the law. Uh, y'all understand what we're saying? 
So the laws produce motions in us. Let's keep track. Verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. So now we're dead to it. So we were in it. When we were in the flesh the law had dominion over us and it's produced some passions and some emotions in us. He said but now we are dead to the law. We've been separated from it. We've been set free from it that we should serve in the newness of spirit. So the way we serve God now is through this newness of spirit. This brand new thing that he created in the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. I'm going to pause right here. When we got this contrast of the newness of spirit versus the oldness of letter, what we must understand is that the oldness of letter does not make reference to just the words on the page. Because some people get deep. And they're going to tell you that now we're in Christ. We've been set free from the law. We got this new way of living. The letter is dead. So I live off revelation. Y'all charismatic, some of y'all. I live off the rhema word of God. That direct speaking word of God. Y'all heard, some of y'all heard some of that stuff. It get, folk get deep. That ain't what Paul talking about. Go to chapter two, watch this. Chapter two. Let me just pause on this. Catch you up to speed a little bit. Chapter two, verse 26. We're going to need all this to keep our mind right. It said, therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? It shall not the uncircumcision which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the, the letter in circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So Paul is here talking about the difference between a Jew and a Gentile. And he's talking about their circumcision versus the Gentiles' uncircumcision. And the picture that he's painting is that there are some people who don't have circumcision. They ain't been circumcised like the law said, but they obey the law. They fulfill the righteous commandments of the law. And what he's saying is their obedience produces their circumcision. That's another way of saying them living right makes them a child of God. Your circumcision and disobedience separates you from God. But the point I want to point out is in verse 29, because he talked about this law in the letter through here, but in his own end, he said, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not of the letter. Now, if we understand what these church folk teach us all the way to the full, how is it that pages can circumcise people? Y'all, y'all, y'all see what I'm saying? Because he said his circumcision is one that is not of the letter. Talking about the pages, the things that are written. Pages can't circumcise nobody. Now he's saying it may be some hard card stock out there that will give you a paper cut. But I don't think it can do circumcision. So when he's talking about not of the letter, he's talking about our self-willed obedience to the things that we read. So it ain't you looking at the words of these pages and trying hard to conform outwardly to the things that you read that makes you a Jew is what he's saying. That's what he means by not of the letter. And this is in the same letter that we fast forward back to chapter 7 
where he talks about that we obey in the newness of spirit and not of the letter. So since it's the same dude writing in the same letter, we got to believe that he has the same thought because there's nothing to show us that his mindset has twisted. So when he talks about we don't serve in the letter, what he means is our serving of God, our obedience to God, don't come from us sitting down looking at this page and trying real hard. But there's a newness. There's a fresh way that comes through the spirit. That's how we serve God. So when we're talking about us benefiting from the word of God and repentance being one of the main things that we need to go to when we go to the word of God, we don't need to allow our minds to shift to when I read some, I got to say, okay, God, now let me try real hard to do that. Because that's not how we serve God. So we must go to the word of God with a mindset of obedience, but we cannot let that mindset of obedience change us or transform us back to the will of man and our ability to pull some off. Everybody tracking with me. So that's what he means by we don't serve in the new, we serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. We don't read these things and try to figure out how we can pull it off. That's not how we serve God. But it's something within, it's the spirit within that produces the obedience that we need. Well, let's keep tracking and I'm going to get to the point in a minute. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. So this is what Paul says, since the law produced these motions in us, the conclusion that he thinks people going to make is that the law is sinful. We need to forget all about it because it's sin. He said, God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So now he's getting to where we're going, getting to the purpose. He said, he would not have known sin apart from the law. He wouldn't have known lust except that the law said thou shalt not covet. So what he's getting at is Paul was just living his life. Doing what he was supposed to do, what he wanted to do. And this concept of being wrong never entered into his mind until one day God said thou shalt not covet. And that produced in him an awareness of covetousness. Are you tracking what I'm saying? The law didn't make him covet. He was already doing it. But once the law revealed that covetousness was wrong, it created a consciousness in him of it. Yeah, We get what I'm saying. It's like you speeding down the highway. You riding. You don't know what the the speed limit is. You don't feel bad at all because you just rolling. Once you see 55 and you realize you're doing 70, now you know you're wrong. That creates an awareness. The sign don't make you wrong. You was already wrong. But the sign lets you know that you are wrong. And that's what Paul is saying about the law. The law came in. The law was revealed. It showed up. And all type of evil stuff started happening inside of me. The evil stuff was already happening. Now you have an awareness of it. Uh, everybody, we, we with each other. All right. Let's keep going. It said, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. 
And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Continuing down this same thought. The law produced this awareness. And the sin enemy took advantage of the law and it deceived me. How did it deceive him? Because it put upon him a condemnation and it drove him to a place where now you have to do some things. Because awareness produced one or two things. It produced shame, guilt, or it produced justification. And in the vast majority of us that desires, desires to be free, living of ourselves, living in our own desires, it produced justification. We be just like our papa and mama, Adam and Eve. When their sin was revealed to them, what's the first thing they start doing? Explaining it, blaming somebody else. That's what, that's what they were doing. Adam, you messed up. That woman. Eve, you messed up. That snake. And we have the same thing go on in us. When we, when we run into something that shows us who we truly are, and that thing ain't pretty, it ain't nice, it reveals all the ugliness in us. We immediately escape to excuses. Now we ain't got no woman and snake. Well, some of you got woman you blaming on. Y'all keep that to yourself. <laughs> it ain't her fault you mad. You angry. That's why you mad. Don't be blaming on that woman. She been that same woman ever since high school when she was getting on your nerves. <laughs> now all of a sudden it's a big deal. She making me sin. That woman, golly. No, it's you, godly. But that's a whole nother subject. I'm sorry. <laughs> but one way we do this, when we get these desires and these things hit us, we begin to justify. How do we justify? One way we justify by telling the truth, but not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Because we tell the truth because this just who I am. I can't help it. You ain't lying. But that ain't no excuse. We justify, and some people get real deep. When they run into some of the commandments and the laws of God, they tell you, brother, you see, you got to understand that, 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 that in the ancient times, things were different. See, we live in a modern society. See, back then, they had all these strict rules, and, 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 and women couldn't do certain things. And they couldn't live a certain way. But now we're in a different time. God brought us into a new age so women can do things they want to do. And God knows and understands I'm supposed to be happy. So I got the right to lead this man. You lying. People have been evil since there have been more than two people on the planet. We messed up. We jacked up. So when you run into these things and you see all these motions working in you, Stop trying to figure out a way to make it right. Let the law do its job and convict you, condemn you, and make you feel real bad. Hurt. Are y'all with me? Allow it to hurt. And stop properly using situations, circumstances, inabilities, and all these things to try to alleviate the pain that you feel. Because that's the job of the law. So when we read that we're supposed to love those who hurt us and persecute us, then we get the thought in our mind 
Let's stop trying to figure out a way that we obeying this by not obeying this. Let's stop figuring out ways to prop ourselves up. And this is what we do, the deep church folks. I'm saying we learn from these motivational speakers who we call preachers, and they tell us that. See, we're supposed to love our neighbors. And, 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 and we need to be kind to everybody. So when you're at work and they're speaking evil about you and they're mistreating you, just say, God bless you. And if you do that for seven days, you will see the spirit of the Lord and the joy just come all upon you and you will be a brand new person and experience all new stuff. And if you be like, yeah, that's it. Cause I know them folk get on my nerves. And then they get on your nerve. They ask you the same question that you answered Friday before you left. And you don't feel like answering again because all they got to do is go read the manual and it'll tell them everything that they need to know. But they're too lazy to do it. They just want you to do all their work. So you say, God bless you. (laughs) They talk about you. They mistreat you. Steal your stuff off your desk. Drink your power out of the refrigerator. And then lie to you. I had one just like it. Man, you know you ain't bring nothing to work. <laughs> but instead you say, God bless you. And what we're doing when we do that is we're turning and trying to produce joy and love for people in us by fleshly means. So we trying to make ourselves obey the commands of God and be in right standing with God by trying tricks and trying tactics that produce something that we do not have. And that's what Paul means. We don't serve by the oldness of the letter. The oldness of the letter is the form. We got the outside. I can make it look like what it's supposed to look. I can read these things. I can comprehend it. I can understand it. And I can figure out a way to make it look right. But the newness of the spirit is the outflowing that comes from within that this is genuinely who I am. I love you because I'm filled with love for people. And that's just what I do. Are y'all understanding? So when we read commands, we cannot allow our mind to shift. So instead of us seeing the anger within us, instead of us seeing the frustration, instead of us seeing the thing that make us want to blow up and go off on these people, and trying to try these tactics that the preacher man told us that we do it for seven days, it's going to become a lifestyle. He lied because you tried it. And it become a habit to you. You still angry. You still mad. You still got to step outside before you go and tell them what's really on your mind. <laughs> you still got to do all that stuff. And you've been doing this stuff ever since you heard that preacher man on the television network telling you that this is the way you get joy in your life. He lied. This is the way you look like you got joy in your life. This is the way you trick people to deceive that you really like them when deep down inside you lying. And this is how we disobey the Bible because the Bible said let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be unfeigned. Let it be genuine. And if it's false and I'm grinning it through through my teeth it ain't genuine. That ain't real. Now we must write you just cuss them out. At least you're being real. (laughs) At least they know where you're staying. (laughs) but instead what we should do is when we see those motions when we see those things when we see those desires and we know and comprehend that this wrong or this shouldn't be in me we should say like Paul when you make it to the end 
Go down. Let's skip to the end. Let's just, let's just watch this. Verse 24. Watch. This is what you should do. Chapter 7, verse 24. It says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Now, Paul went through this long exhortation. And we're going to really walk through another time. But this is my main point now. is this understanding how we go to the obeying. So while Paul went through this struggle, and he keep running up against these commands that he can't obey, he keep running up against these commands that he want to do right, but he can't do it. This is his conclusion. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? So Paul recognized that there was something evil in him, that there was something that he was bound to, that he needed to be free from. And so instead of trying to figure out seven tactics, instead of trying to figure out methods and things to do for 30 days, he just started crying. A grown man started crying. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Are y'all with me? Go to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to make this whole picture. It's simple. Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to try my best not to read the whole thing. Start at 15. Start at 15. Galatians 3.15. Galatians 3.15. said, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, Yet, if it be confirmed, no man disannul it, I added thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said, not to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of no none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. All right, let's catch you up, making sure you, you're tracking with the flow of thought. So we jumped in in the middle. But Paul's using the same analogy of a contract, of a covenant, just like he did in Romans chapter 7. We're saying that once the covenant has been confirmed, can't no outside party come and dis- undo it. And now when he's going through, he said the promise to Abraham was made through promise, into his seed. So Abraham got the righteousness of God. Abraham got acceptance through God through a promise. It's like, so since God gave it to him into his seed by a promise, the law, which came later, 430 years later, he said, it cannot disannul it. So the way that Abraham was accepted into the temp- to the people of God, the way that Abraham received the righteousness of God, the way that Abraham got to be beloved of God was by a promise that was made by God. So when the law came giving parameters for acceptance with God, that law cannot undo the promise because God made a covenant and can't no outside party come disannul the covenant. That's, that's the basis of what we're saying. So since God did it by a promise, it has to stand on the promise. And no matter what happened later, the promise still stands. Are y'all with me? Because God do not lie. Then 19, he said, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression to the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So why, why was the law? Why, if, if, the, if the law didn't make no difference, why did God give it? He said it was added because of transgression. 
So God added the law to this promise because of sin. So sin was the reason that he brought it. Are y'all tracking with that? So the reason God brought the law was because of sin. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. All right. But keep reading. But if after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So this is, let's get track with this. This is, this is the crux of where we're going. We're going to transition from here. What was the law given for? Because of sin. And Paul makes the statement. So if the law could have produced righteousness, righteousness would have been by the law. Now we read, read, I don't know if y'all remember, but way back time in Romans, why couldn't the law produce righteousness? Anybody remember? Why the law couldn't produce righteousness? Why? Because of sin. That is the absolute answer. The law can produce righteousness because of sin. And that sin is not just the outward actions that we do, but it's the power that works within us that has us under control. So sin dwells in us, it controls our heart, it controls our mind, so we cannot obey the law. Because knowledge does not produce power. I know y'all heard the commercials. <laughs> you saw the billboards, had the posters in your school, knowledge is power, that's a lie. Knowledge does not produce ability. If you're in up in a the power to do something, no matter how much you learn about something, you still can't do it. Y'all, y'all with me? A man with no legs can study the mechanics of walking for ages. And he still ain't gonna walk. Because he don't have the ability to apply the knowledge that he has learned. So likewise, a man with no righteousness can learn of righteousness for ages to come. And he's still going to be a sinner because the unrighteousness in him does not allow him to live the way that he's supposed to live. So the law could not produce righteousness. Therefore, God had to put it through faith and through a promise. But what the law does, Paul referred to it and said, it is our schoolmaster that holds us under until the promise should come. What that mean? The law teaches us, it points us, it guides us to the object of our faith. That's the purpose of it. So that's why it was added because of transgression. So when we read in the Bible and we get a command and we see something that we cannot do, that should drive us to Christ, not to ourselves. So every time we see law, every time we see a commandment, let us not run back to the oldness of the letter, but let us always be conscious of the purpose of it. This applies to what we call Old Testament and New Testament. Because we don't have the ability within ourselves to do the things that God has called us to do. But we must go to this word with a heart towards obedience. 
But a heart towards obedience is a heart towards God because that's the only way we can obey. So when I read in the Bible what I'm supposed to do, I need to read in myself what I cannot do, and that should compel me to where the only source of power is. Y'all understanding how this works now? So let's just say you're a young single lady, and you reading. I'm saying you get deep. You studying your Bible. You reading in Corinthians, and you running that thing. You running chapter one, spiritual man. I mean, natural man can't understand the things of God. And you're like, yeah, you know I'm saying you got to be saved to feel with the spirit. That's the only way you can get it. You don't understand this. You know I'm saying you're going off every day. You get down in that thing. And you read. You read in chapter three about the perfect law of liberty. You know I'm saying what the spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. You know I'm saying because Christ through his spirit and set me free. And now I look into this word of God and I'm being made into that image. You know I'm saying you're getting down in the thing. And you read the next day and you keep going through chapter four and chapter five and on get down down with these fornicators and people can't judge but I judge them with a doubt so don't be telling me not to judge you know what I'm saying you get down and you doing your thing then you read now we, we don't associate with no fornication don't you know that my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost the spirit of God that live in me I've been bought with a price I'm saying you, you letting people know and you laying them all down because I've been saved I've been redeemed don't you know the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God all that stuff and you feeling it and you know what I'm saying you, you, again, you doing your thing and you own it. Every day you learning something new. Then you make your way to chapter 7. And you be like, Paul said it's not good for a man even to touch a woman. Hold up now. Hold up. I understand you, Paul. I, I was vibing with you on chapter 1 through 6. But now you talking about it's good for a man not to even touch a woman. How in the world is I'm going to find me a man that we don't even supposed to be touching one another? I'm saying, I'm Christian, Paul. I'm saved. We be getting together doing Bible study. We be in our dorm room, in our apartment. I'm saying, we studying the Bible. He laying hands on me, praying for me. How in the world you going to talk about it good for a man not to touch a woman? Now, hold up, Paul. I don't think I can do that. But like, maybe I'm misunderstanding. I'm saying, the preacher man told me about context. So let me read the rest of the chapter. You keep reading that thing. And you keep on reading. Then you talking about Paul, that man, it may be even good or better for a person to remain. So you're like, hold up, Paul. What you mean it might be good and better for a person to remain single? You must don't know. Paul, I'm getting older. I got these things going on in my emotions and my spirit at some time. How in the world I'm going to do that? Like, Paul, this ain't right. Paul ain't right that part of the Bible. <laughs> and then you watch YouTube videos and they tell you Paul made up Christianity and be like that would happen see, see Paul was making stuff up Jesus ain't teach that Jesus ain't say nothing about no man not touching a woman <laughs> and so your mind get all messed up because when you read that even though when you reading all that other stuff you were cool and you were vibing but some way disconnected with something that showed you something inside of you and it was something that all the other stuff even talked about it but you didn't get the connection but since now he want to make it real plain talking about touching and remaining single and all that stuff that stuff registered in your mind even though he just condemned fornication in the last chapter and you were vibing with that but just this whole talking about remaining single and, and, and not touching just produced all type of stuff in your mind and now you stuck. Like, I can't do that. So what I'm supposed to do? 
If God called me to stay single, I can't do that. So I need to hurry up and find me a man. But how am I hurry up and find me a man because I'm not supposed to be unequally yoked with unbelievers and all that stuff that Paul said in that same book. Like it's stuck. But he fine. But he ain't saved. See, but I'm supposed to be a missionary, an ambassador for Christ, so I can get him saved. See, that's how rationalization begins. Because you're trying to figure out a way that you, being you, can do what it is that you read. I'm saying, what does touch mean exactly? Bible <laughs> remember what Pastor Jay said something about the blue letter Bible and the Greek, and sometimes they translate a little different. So let me let me see what touch mean in Greek. <laughs> I'm saying Paul was a Hebrew. So they mistranslated into Greek. Let me see what it means in Hebrew. What does touch mean? See, old King James don't translate it to modern King James. See, touch meant something different. Touch mean not take off the chastity belt because back then when in the 1600s they had them type stuff. So that, that's the real definition of touch. They ain't got nothing to do with us sitting in the dark watching Netflix holding hands. See, they ain't got nothing to do with that. <laughs> that ain't what tall Paul was talking about. This how the stuff works. Because we immediately begin to try to figure out how I can accomplish what it is that I read and still be right. And if ever there's a conflict in me, I got to figure out how I can hold on to this conflict and still be right. That's a lie. That's when sin is working in you, deceiving you. Because it's taking your mind away from God and taking your mind to yourself and your inabilities. So just like you got crunk from chapter 1 through chapter 6, you're supposed to get crunk in chapter 7, even if it produces that conflict in you. Even if it makes all these emotions and desires and make you think about stuff you ain't even think about before. You be like, God, leave. I'm supposed to, when I feel that I, okay. But what the law supposed to do? Drive you. It's a schoolmaster to teach you, you, so that you can see your need for Christ. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And it works like that with everything. Every time we see a command, every time we see a statute, a principle in the Bible, it should drive us away from self to God in Christ because that's the only way we can pull any of it off. So anytime we hear that, okay, we got to obey. That's the only way we benefit. Do not, do not translate that to mean, okay, I got to try hard because you can't do it. And if ever you get to that wall where you don't see the grace in yourself to do it, you got to do like Paul, oh, wretched man who I am, who shall deliver me. It pushes you and propels you to God. And that's the only response that we should have. Anytime we see any and every command that we got in here. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's deep. I'm talking about that super deep. To make a comparison to a man dying for some people who didn't like him. To me, loving a woman. I'm a man that I got. So that means I should be willing to change 
who I am if it's for the good and the benefit of my lady. Now that's how Christ loved the church. That he became ungod. He ungodded himself. Became a man to benefit some people who didn't even like him. That's deep. And you can't take a minute to pause from watching ESPN just to listen to a long conversation about some stuff you don't even care nothing about. But you talking about you love your wife. <laughs> but what happens is we hear that and we begin to create a definition for that. And I don't allow the full weight of it to hit us. Because that's heavy. It ain't no, I don't see no way no man can pull that off. I mean, that's pretty deep. I mean, you won't go to the store to get bottled when it's storming. Because your wife needs it. When Jesus walked down a long street with wood on his back and scars all in his back and folks spitting on him and lying on him and beating him up. That's the way Jesus loved the church. So going out there in a little thunderstorm and get a little butter, that's whole power. <laughs> Especially when you first started like that. Come on, you, it was deep. Say you're on a honeymoon. And you're ready. And she wants a water. Baby, I got it. Quick on your feet. Just lay there and relax. Like, ooh, this ain't even cold. Baby, I got it. <laughs> run all the way down the hallway in the hotel to get some ice bring it back wash your hands or you know you don't do that before you put the ice and put it in the cup <laughs> need anything else baby you're comfortable you need you you, want, you need another pillow you look comfortable my, you can take my pillow <laughs> got it all laid out Deep, that's love, we say. And six months later, when you're laying in the bed and you have time, and she talk you to sleep, telling you about her day, and she's like, I'm thirsty. I think it's a bottle of water. <laughs> then you go to the store that day in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I told you to bring some water back from the store we had. <laughs> what happened to baby? I got you. Because it fades. And that's natural. Bible told you. Even young man grow weary. <laughs> and that's what happened. You got tired. So the man, you get tired in six months doing that little small stuff. You spread that thing over 20 some years. You're going to get tired. But does tide give you an excuse not to love? But the tide means you can't build yourself to serve this person, to uplift this person and do what's needed for their benefit. Nope. Because God commands it. And since God commands it, God is there to provide the means to pull it off. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And that's the picture that we have. The law of God exists because of unrighteousness in the world. And it's there to show us how unrighteous we are. But it's not there to 
to, to tweak our mind to think we have to try real hard to pull some off. It's our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. It shows us our wrong. It shows us the error of our way. It shows us our weaknesses. It shows us the places that we fall short. But it don't show it just to show it. And it don't show it to, to propel in you a desire to try hard. It shows it to push you towards Christ. Are y'all with me? That's how we used to do in the band. When we get somebody that we ain't like, and we ain't want them to be there, and we thought they were sorry, we worked real hard to show them how sorry they were. We ran extra. We played longer. We stayed out in the sun longer. But we think you ain't tough. You're going to quit. We go to a public school, so we can't just put you out. But if you quit, we ain't got to deal with you. So we put you through conditions that caused you to not want to be with us. Because we didn't think you can make it. And the law does the same thing to our spirit. It puts you in the conditions that shows you how weak you truly are. That makes you want to quit. That makes you want to give up. And the reason it produces us in the mind to give up is because our minds are distorted and we don't see it for what it truly is. So instead of giving up, we should give up. But we don't, we don't give up on self. We give up to God. Now y'all understanding what I'm saying? So I don't know if you've been in thing any time long enough. You didn't have moments where you felt like it quit. I can't do it. It's over with. We'd all have been there. I don't know quite about this thing. I don't know if it worked. I don't know if it, but that ain't that sin deceiving you. You don't know if it worked, so you go to the one that can make it work. Because we receive righteousness through what? A promise. The law don't undo that promise. We receive the divine nature through what? A promise. So when I run out and you promise me that you got me, once I meet my end, I say, hey, Evan, I need that. Uh, you know, that time we were talking and you said uh, that you would help me if I ever need some help. I need it now. And God told you he'll help you if you ever need some help. If you draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to you. In the time of your weakness, his strength is made perfect. So you can say, um, God, you remember that time um, you said, um, that you'll be there for me if I ain't want nobody else. Ain't nobody else that can help me right now. Could you, could you, could you help me out? God, do you, do you got a little strength I can borrow? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Gee, you, you, you got a little peace. <laughs> bro, you give bro a little peace. Uh, Jesus, man, you, 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 you just got a little bit of joy because this, this is tough right now. Jesus, you know what I'm saying? I've been dealing with these bad children for a long time, and I think I'm about out of patience. So, uh, you, you, you got a little something I can borrow. <laughs> I've been looking at this job. It ain't no patience came out a long time. <laughs> if you don't come give me some, I'm going to slap every last one up. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So the law exists to propel us, to push us towards the only one that can keep it. So the way we obey is the same way that we get saved. We run to Jesus. In the last, it just popped in my mind, speaking about kids. And this is something God didn't been dealing with me on. I got to refresh and get things together. It may be what we transition to. And when it comes to our children, it works the exact same way. And what I mean by that is, we are law unto them. They don't know the law of God. They can't see the righteous standard of God, but we are law unto them. And the danger that I see and that I, I have to pray against myself is that I don't convince my children that they are a Christian. 
And what I mean by that is, you ain't saved because I'm your daddy. And I don't treat them in the sense of, now you, you're a Christian, you know you're a Christian. No, I, I produce law. Because the law is the thing that reveals sin and compels and push. So I raise up the standard. Let's teach our children righteousness. Let's show them where they're supposed to be. And let's like protect them from the evil that is them. But call it out. You understand what I'm saying? So when you see that badness in your child, and then you see that hate for they got for their sister, you, you question it. Why you hate your sister? Love don't hate. You're supposed to be lover, don't it? Create that conflict in them. Because that conflict compels and it pushes. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Allow it to hit. Because that's the purpose of the law. And we got to get this thing back to understand that obedience, repentance is a part of salvation. But we can only truly feel it unless we know that we're wrong. So let's stop telling everybody that they're right. No, people are wrong. People are evil. People are sinners. People need to change. That includes us, our neighbors, our children, and everybody else. So let's start with the old lady evangelist. Baby, it's okay. <laughs> no, it ain't okay. You wrong. And you need to stop. Uh, but tracking what I'm saying. That just popped in my mind, but especially for our children. No, baby, it's okay. No, it ain't okay. You wrong. You bad. Why are you bad? <laughs> yeah, you, you are bad. Why are you doing that? You know, God don't like it when you do that. <laughs> if you don't stop, you're going to end up in hell. <laughs> But I really, the main point is not to convince them. They know they say because we told them they are. They know they say because we convinced them they are. Let's allow the spirit of God to convict them, to, to work deep in their heart, independent of us. And all we do is be that schoolmaster to drive them, to push it, to show the standard and to compel them and show them what they're supposed to do when they get there. And mama, I don't know why I'm bad. I'm just bad. Well, you need to pray to God and figure it out. Why are you getting so mad at your sister? I don't know. She's getting on my nerves. Why is she getting on your nerves? I don't know. You need to pray to God to figure it out. <laughs> I supposed to love her. I do love her. Now you don't if you slap it across the head. <laughs> and have these hard conversations. But understand that our obedience is not tied to our strength. It's not tied to our comprehension. But our obedience is tied to our relationship with Christ and that newness of the spirit that only he can give. So every time we run into something that we don't match up to, let's run to Christ, the one who do match up. Are y'all with me? We got any questions? Go ahead. Um, they perish for the lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I hear you talk about knowledge not being able to, like having knowledge doesn't equate to being able to do. Mm -hmm. But so, but when I hear that scripture, like people perish for the lack of knowledge, I hear if they had knowledge, they would not perish. So, I, I absolutely agree. So, could you? I just been reading that this week. Okay. It been my go go to Hosea chapter four. I 
think we talked about this verse like a year and a half ago. And we talked about the other half on the street a little while ago. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In Hosea chapter 4. It says, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. With the beasts of the field and with the fowls of the heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Let no man strive nor reprove one another for thy people I ask they that strive with the priest. Therefore shall thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, because they have rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, because thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. They were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people, and they set their heart on iniquity. And there shall be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away. We'll stop right there. But if you continue reading it and going in, it's an unfolding of his thesis, which is in verse chapter, I mean, verse one of chapter four, is that the knowledge that they have rejected is the knowledge of God. The knowledge of the truth. <clears throat> God is true. So they are destroyed because of the lack of knowledge. They have turned their backs from God. They don't know him. They seek towards stocks and idols. They set their heart, heart towards sexual immorality and, and wine and, and all these type of things. So when he say they perish because of lack of knowledge, it's not just a lack of information. It's they don't acknowledge God. They don't know God. And they're living out there not knowing God through the murder, through the hatred, through the envy, and through the, all of the, the things that they unfolded. So that verse ties back to verse 1 because it's an unfolding of that, of them rejecting truth, of them rejecting mercy, of them rejecting the knowledge of God. Because all those things tie back to God and God himself. You understanding what I'm saying? So it ain't just we ain't got the right information, that's why we perish. Now we might apply that principle in some ways, but that ain't what Hosea was talking about. Go ahead. Anybody else got a question? What does it mean to be justified? To be justified means to be declared righteous. It's like if you went to court and everybody was saying you did wrong, then the judge look at all the evidence and say she didn't do it, she did right. So to be justified means to be declared righteous. Is it true that no one is righteous? Is it true that no one is righteous? No one is born righteous. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we become the righteousness of God. What does it mean to be held captive? Held captive, just like you've been kidnapped. That somebody took you and they got you and you ain't nothing you can do about it. If your husband dies and you marry his brother, are you marrying your family? Uh, in a technical way, yes. You are. But the prohibition ain't against that. Are cherubim and angels different? Are cherubim and angels different? So now you're getting in, into some deep theology. Some say 
yes, and some say no. What cherubims are, well, I can tell you, start with this. That little cute little thing that be on with the little bottom and the wings on it, that's not a cherubim. A cherubim is a big old scary looking thing that's around the throne of God. Now, technically, we cannot theologically through the Bible say that they're angels because we don't see anywhere that they have been sent to give messages. So that's the definition of an angel, a messenger. So some people work with the technical theology of the name and say, well, cherubim aren't angels because we don't see biblically where they were sent to give messages. But that little bit of cute thing that you see on stuff, talking about the cherubim, no, that's not it. It's a big old funny looking thing with four faces, <laughs> six wings. <laughs> it's terrifying. Do Jews today follow the laws about like unclean and clean foods? Some of them do. The ones that consider themselves to be orthodox, they do. But the rest of them just regular old people just like everybody else. They Jew by nationality only. Were poor people allowed in church back then? Back when? I don't know. When Jesus was alive. Were they allowed in the church? Yes. But they didn't receive honor. And they was mistreated to a certain degree because they didn't have nothing to give. So the people who ran the temple, because church one church like we know. You had your local synagogues where they did teach and they could go to the synagogue and learn. But in temple services and things like that, they were frowned upon just because they ain't had nothing to give. When God was talking about the temple that he would tear down the building in three days, was he talking about, like, him? Yes. Pass it back. What does captive mean? Captive means somebody that has been captured. So something that has been caught and you holding on to it, that's a captive or a captured person is a captive. Like if you catch a butterfly and you hold it in your hand, it's a captive. You control it. You got it. It can't go anywhere. That's it. So um, as far as the law, I was thinking that the law was considered the Old Testament. But so when he was speaking in Romans 7, mm-hmm. so is still like since then, do we consider everything that was written like in the New Testament that's instructing as also uh, a law as far as bringing us into the knowledge of sin and what's right and wrong? Law in principle. So the principle of law, that's what it does. <clears throat> so when he was referring back to the Old Testament and to the commands, but the principle of itself that the law was added or that law is for the unrighteous. It's still the same. So anytime you see a command, it shows you what you're supposed to do. And by showing you what you're supposed to do, it also shows you what you can and cannot do. That's just principle or law and rule in and of itself. You understand? It's just like the rule in basketball is you're supposed to dribble the ball if you want to move. That rule is fine if you know how to dribble. But for a person who don't, that makes the game hard. Because they can't play basketball because they don't know how to bounce the ball and run at the same time. So they don't like that rule. And so people who don't like that rule, they just, no, we ain't playing like that. And they just, <laughs> because the rule has showed them you really don't know how to play basketball. 
And so the, the, the principal idea of law is it sets a standard. And anytime you see a standard, there's comparison that is being made. And so by principle, that's the purpose of law, to set a standard, to give a rule. That's why the statue is one of the names of the laws. It, it, it shows shows up. It shows the principle. And so that in and of itself always reveals where we are in relation to that. Does that make sense? Make sure I understand. Go ahead. So you're saying, regardless of whether it's in the Old Testament or if it's instruction in the New Testament or if it's just something outside in our day-to-day life, if it's a law, it basically does the same thing that, that he mentioned in Romans. Yeah. It, it shows you where you are. Like, a kid would be fine sitting in the classroom slapping each other across the head. They wouldn't feel bad about it. Until the teacher put the rules on the board, keep your hands to yourself and be still. Now it's a struggle for them. Sitting in the classroom wasn't no struggle for a kid until you told them they had to sit still. <laughs> like, nah, man, what y'all doing? <laughs> class is boring. Class ain't fun. It's hard. Because you just set a rule that they can't keep. You, you get one. So, so in principle, that what, that is what law does. Anybody else? from the apostles seem very personal or maybe not even instructions but like um, where they talk about marriage or um, in terms of what they chose for themselves not to marry or whatever some of it seems personal versus Mm -hmm. global is that yeah so how do we separate what we should apply for ourselves to ourselves versus just looking at it as a part of that person's Okay. Now that's what we're gonna talk about next week to the chief. Well, I was thinking about it, I ain't sure. I don't know. I won't know until Saturday. <laughs> but <clears throat> shortly you have example and you have principles that we generally glean from. So when we see something that is an example the way we learn from it is one of two ways. Well, two ways going together. The first principle is we see, we look for the standard in the person and the purpose why and how God connects to it. So when you see Paul saying that it's better not to marry or me, I prefer that people be like that. You look at it. Why does he say so? And he gives you a small glimpse into why did he say so? Say because the married man has to think about the ways of the things of the world and how he may please his wife, but the unmarried man can think about the things of the Lord and how he may please him. So his parameter, why he say he think it's better, is there's more freedom and there's more liberation for him to go out and do what he was doing. So it's possible that Paul couldn't have been Paul if he had a wife. So we learn the principle, and the principle is what instructs us. You, you, you get what I'm saying? So it ain't just, okay, Paul didn't have no wife, so I don't need that. No, we learn, we take the principle and we try to see how universally the principle itself applies and why he did it. So when he, he makes a stand, statement, we look for the why. And also in other aspects, when we're looking at stories and narratives, we look for the relation of where God fits into the story. So how, how God works it out. So like, well, I think we talked a little bit, like Esther. So Esther's story seemed to be pretty deep, and everybody wanted you. Everybody wanted their little girl to be an Esther and all that. And I'm saying, <laughs> if you want your daughter to be walking around in a beauty pad and snatched up by some foreign king, you know, all, all big. <laughs> I can tell you, I raised your kid. 
But I don't think that's the life I want for mine. <laughs> to be locked up in some chamber with some man telling them how to smell and how to take a bath. <laughs> you didn't think about the story like that. <laughs> but so we don't look at Esther's life to find a pattern for how we're supposed to live. We look at Esther's life to find a pattern for how God deals with his people. Because Esther's life is a part of the unfolding story of the preservation of the kingdom of God and the coming of Jesus. So what we see in Esther, you learn principles from her. You see one of devotion. You see one of courage. And those are principles that we can glean. But the ultimate thing that we glean from her is that through faithfulness, God stands and holds and he preserves his people. That's the basis of it. So that's the main thing that we glean from the life of Esther. People do the same thing with David. They mess up. And his people have real theological mess ups with David. David like killed people theology. Because you'd be like, man, Saul, he just refused to kill somebody. David did kill somebody. Saul got rejected. David is elevated as the man of God. That's the God's own heart. Like, man, and people make up all type of theology and sermons and stuff to try to explain why this is so. And so we got people messed up. They're like, man, you can't judge me. I'm just like David. David said, I ain't killed nobody. I'm <laughs> saying, so what if I lost? If I had a couple people on the booty. I ain't cheating on my wife. David did it. But David is not our example. So we don't pattern our life after David. When we look at the life of David, we, we learn some things from David. He showed us some good principles. He showed us some principles about the, about faithfulness and courage and obedience to God. We see that. But the ultimate thing we see in the life of David is the unfolding of God's plan and the calling of God upon his people. Because David was chosen because God chose him. And we mix the things up because they say, we God looking for a man after his own heart and he chose David. So now we elevate and we got to make David make sense to what it means to be after God's own heart. And so we make up, well, you know, there are natural sins and there are spiritual sins. Now, this is stuff people preach. See, David just committed a natural sin by committing adultery and killing a man. Okay, but Saul committed a spiritual sin because he got prideful and that's why he wouldn't kill the king of Ahab. See, David didn't have that same pride. Man, David counted the people at the end of his life where God told him directly not to. He did the same thing. So it ain't about the greatness of David. It's about the greatness and the faithfulness of God and yet God gonna call forth his son from the line of a tribe of Judah just like he told uh, who was it? Isaac that he was going to Jacob that he was going to do. So David benefits from the promise, not from being David. David show us the power of God's mercy and God's love. That's what we learn from David. David shows us the greatness of God's forgiveness and his ability to hold to his promises despite our foolishness and pull, bring forth that which he accomplished because he did it. David was messed up and you get on down the line, a whole bunch of your children were messed up, but the Messiah still came. God's plan was still accomplished and he got a son to sit on the throne and it's going to last forever and we receive salvation and forgiveness because God made a promise and he a man that he should not lie. 
Not because David was such a great dude and he did such these great things that he was a man after God's own heart. He was cool. But he was, and you also learn the principle. When he was small and he was little, David was righteous. When he got elevated and got comfortable, David was a fool. And we see them principles in ourselves. See, when we were poor and, and digging through the glove box looking for $2 to buy a double stack, we prayed all the time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now we got $20 in our pocket, you know what I'm saying? We let go drop a dub on the counter at Wendy's, you know what I'm saying? Now we big time. <laughs> you know the last time you prayed, you got $20, you know what I'm saying? What, what up? Saying, give me the number six, add bacon. <laughs> Yeah, make that a large. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And a side salad. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? You got to do it up. But you don't pray that much. You know what I'm saying? When you looking at that needle, looking at them two dollars. Looking at that needle, looking at them two dollars. Pray it all the way to work. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> you stop it by that tank. You know what I'm saying? My boy, give me. Two seventy five on pump three. <laughs> Somebody asked you for a ride, boy. You praying all the way. You, know you can't be mean because you're a Christian, so you got to take them. Man, he tell you stay all the way at Twin Gate. <laughs> no, I got to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know. We don't get paid the Friday, dog. They can't go at the last. So you prayed all the way home, then you had to pray at him and going and you praying and praying and praying. And one stop. You saying, well now you got a little money in your pocket, you got a little gas, you swipe your car, you don't even look at it. the prices on the pump no more. 239, ain't nothing, put that thing in there, fill me up. I'm saying, that's, we see things like that through the life of the people. Y'all, you understand what I'm saying? I'm sorry, I ain't meant to do all that. <laughs> Anybody else got a question? <laughs> See, that got personal. <laughs> That's it. They all yours.